0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and I am here, as always, with Nikki Kinzer. Hello, Nikki. Hello, Pete. Oh, Nikki. My my wife left me. Oh!
1: <gasps> For, to go for, to the
0: store? Just, no, for three days. She's going to oh. Burns. But it's <laughs> as if she left me for, it's there's such grief. And I think we've been around each other for so long, uh, you know, in the context, she hasn't been doing any traveling. And now, you know, schools right. in rural Oregon are starting to open up and she's been vaccinated and like, she's going back to work and starting her travel uh, season again. And mm. I mean, my whole family is in grief like at the separation like it's you'd think we couldn't do enough fast enough to get away from each other but there the that's dog the is crying in the window like it's <laughs> just very sad um, and it you know it makes me think about our current uh, our guest today we're going to be talking about divorce and specifically divorce and ADHD and what that's like and it turns out we have lots of questions
1: We do. Uh, i very curious about about this. Who knew that
0: you and I are divorce curious? (laughs) Uh, Before we do that, we're going to head over to TakeControlADHD.com. You can get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the mailing list, and we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. Connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD. And if the show has ever touched you or helped you make a change in your life for the better, if you've ever found that you understand your relationship with ADHD in a new way, we invite you to consider Supporting the show directly through Patreon. Patreon is listener-supported podcasting. With a few dollars a month, you can help guarantee that we continue to grow this show to add new features and invest more heavily in our community. Visit patreon.com/slash the ADHD podcast to learn more. And I will say, I thought I had more time, honestly. We said last time, in the last couple of weeks, we've we've had a pitch where we've told people we have this new goal that we've been working on and we've really been working on it and I thought I had about 15 patrons worth of time to at, at our current rate to get everything ready and then over the last couple of weeks everybody signed up and now we only have one left to hit our goal of 200 before I have to be ready and I'm I'm almost there but I just I'm going to need 199 and Two hundred and and maybe by two hundred and one, I'll I'll be there. It was a surprise. It is a, a this is the one of the very best problems to have is uh, enthusiastic folks waiting for our, our new library and uh, eventually our next goal is the the Pete only uh, tech podcast uh, for members only. We're very excited about doing all of these things and thank you so much for your enthusiasm and support to help us get there. It is really really gratifying. Uh, You've got so, some work to do. There we go. Now. Let's, <laughs>
1: Uh, The only announcement that I want to put out there is study hall, right? Because I had that one minute of fame in the Wall Street Journal which was exciting. That was big. Yes. And uh, and we talked about study hall in the article. And so I just want to keep reminding people that on Thursday afternoons, I have a study hall um, that you can join for four hours where we're body doubling and getting work done. And I'm leading with the Pomodoro technique. And if you have any questions on how it works, make
0: sure you let me know. Outstanding study halls. We're still rolling through it. Check it out. Take control ADHD.com. It's in the coaching tab. And now let's talk about divorce. Seth Nelson, Esquire, is a dear friend of mine and a partner in the podcast How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. He is a family law attorney in Tampa, Florida, and he's here today to talk about the big breakup. How are you doing, Seth? I'm doing well. Nice
2: to see you, Pete. Nikki, thanks for having me on Taking Control. I'm really thrilled to be here.
0: It, the the whole reason we started this podcast somewhere, I don't remember who started it, but we started thinking about just kind of, I, I think, Seth, maybe you and I were talking about some um, uh, something related to ADHD, and you started rattling off these issues where someone who's living with ADHD might be seriously challenged when they approach... The legal system, and so we thought this would be a, a great opportunity because we know, I, Nikki, you should probably talk to this. Uh, like the the preponderance of evidence says that people living with ADHD have a hard time in marriage. Oh
1: yes, yes, definitely a high high increase of, uh, or uh, not high increase, but I should say um, high percentage of doors right and and yeah. multiple marriages within a lifetime uh and it and it can be because both couples have adhd or just one or whatever but it definitely can get uh can get messy so are you both on the podcast i have to say i haven't listened to it and i will now but are you both like on the list <laughs> like are you both there <laughs> it's what,
2: the, we, the dumb- that's a ringing endorsement right ring off endorser- the bat <laughs> <All right>. wow <laughs> Seth, you got a good voice for podcasts, (laughs) but I haven't listened to
1: it. Well, that's actually really Um, positive, Seth, because I'm not going through a divorce. So maybe that's good, right?
2: Right. And and, and thankfully, we are very niche on the people we are trying to help. And um, so I am glad that you are not in the market for divorce lawyer. That actually makes me feel good. But yes, Pete and I are co-hosts on How to Split a Toaster. Um, and when Pete and I were talking about divorce and all the different aspects and ADHD, there is a list of issues that make the divorce process extremely difficult for the most organized spreadsheet loving mm-hmm. person in the world. And if your mind doesn't work that way, if you're living with ADHD, there are um, a host of other issues that are going to make the process even more difficult than it already is. It's not easy for anybody. But it is even harder for people living with ADHD, and I'm happy to give some pointers or help out where I can and um, make the process just a little Mm -hmm. less difficult.
1: So where should we start? I'm curious, like, because I have a lot of different questions, but they're all over the board, Um, so... Fire away. By the time they come to you, have they already decided they are getting divorced?
2: Not necessarily. The average person will think about a divorce for three years before they call a lawyer.
1: Three years. But that kind of makes sense, especially if you have children involved.
2: Right. It's not a decision you make lightly. So that does give it some time and credence. But there'll be people that will come to me that will say, I'm done. I'm ready. I've been Mm -hmm. ready for a long time. There's others that will come to me and say, I just got served with divorce paperwork. I had no idea this was Mm -hmm. even happening. So out of left field in their mind. Now, there could have been signs that they ignored, but in their mind at that moment, they had no idea. The first Monday in January, in my industry, quite frankly, the divorce industry, we call it Divorce Monday, where people are ringing the phone off of divorce lawyers. They've gotten through the holidays. January is a very busy month for divorce lawyers. And they'll call and say, I don't know if I'm going to go through it now, but I'm ready to start talking to you. It might be now, never six months. They might call me and then work on counseling. So it's all over the spectrum of where people, when I first talk to them, where they are in their own mind. And that can change through the process. I've had cases where they start out in a divorce and they ended up staying married, but we negotiated what's called a postnuptial agreement to figure out how we're going to work out the money in case they do get divorced. In separating the finances like that has actually helped save marriages. Oh, interesting. Wow. So they could be all over the board.
0: One, do you have a uh, vinyl banner that says Divorce Monday Deal that you hang outside your office? Because that's amazing.
2: I do, you know, Pete, you know me well enough. I'm a hopeless romantic. I, <laughs> I have the Valentine's Day special. <laughs> Nikki wrote this question,
0: and I can't believe we've never talked about it, um, you and I, because you do a lot of mediation and this sort of navigating the complex relationships of people who are separating. What would you say? How would you characterize the difference between a, a cordial divorce and one that isn't? And is it possible to consciously uncouple? What is your position on conscious uncoupling?
2: You can certainly consciously uncouple. It's just how painful that process is. Just because you're consciously saying, we're going to uncouple, we're going to divide, How we're not going to live together anymore. We're going to figure out how we're going to see the kids and what's going to be best for them and how we're going to divide up our assets and what about alimony and child support and who's going to pay attorney's fees if we need an attorney. Just if you're consciously doing it and you're trying to be very respectful, you'll still have the same communication problems you might've had throughout your marriage. There are things that went differently than you anticipated them when you <laughs> got married. And so when you have the hurt and the people are fearful of what lies ahead because it's an unknown, so it still is difficult, it's never easy. Now, it is easier or not as difficult, whichever way you want to say those two phrases, If you can treat each other with respect, you can understand that most things people are saying are about them, not about you. Don't take things as personal. Now, Pete, you're stressing because your wife left you for three days. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And how anxious that is after being through this COVID time that we're still in. Imagine if she was leaving forever. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: And how do finances work? What do we do with the house? All those things. And I am a true believer of whatever your personality traits may be they are heightened in a divorce. If you're naturally anxious, you're gonna be hyper anxious. If you look at every dime on finances, you will look at every penny. So if you are um, suspicious, get ready for the conspiracy theories. So whatever your main personality traits are, they are going to be heightened. Be aware of that. Check yourself to see where you are on that spectrum. Sometimes I'll talk to clients and say, where are you today in our conversation? Are you like all in, Seth? I'm focused, I've got three things I wanna to talk to you about or are you distraught and just all over the place? And I'll, I'll work with you. Wherever you may be on that spectrum, I'm gonna find you where you are and get done what we can get done that day. And it might not be everything I wanna get done as your lawyer, but I can only go as fast as the slowest person. And there are certain deadlines and requirements that we have to go through, but being able to lay them out and just take it one bite at a time, you eat the elephant one bite at a time, and so it doesn't get as overwhelming as the process usually is, can be very helpful. Mm.
0: I, I think that is so important, and particularly that bit about, uh, you know, your whatever your sort of base personality is, it's going to be heightened going through the divorce process. And I have... I, I'm consistently surprised with the things I've never thought about in terms of separating our relationship than when I'm I'm working with Seth and and uh, from everything from like. Ha- what happens when you move out and you realize you don't have any furniture? Like, how do you learn to make choices again about your your identity? You're like, what is it that that is you when it is not a part of this other person anymore? And that causes my brain to firework, right? That causes an, an overload of noise that is is hard to imagine. I wonder, Seth, if you could start if you could walk us through as you start talking about working with clients. Like, what are the places cases in the legal process, um, in, in this case, check your local jurisdiction in the great state of Florida, we're talking about specifically, uh, but what are the things in the divorce process that you feel like are, would be particularly stressful that require that sort of organization and focus uh, just to get to the other side of it? The legal system
2: is is that demanding. The one big area of stress to all clients is the requirement to gather financial documents. So Nikki, let me put it on you. How would it make you feel if I said I have 20 different categories of financial documents that you may have some, you may not have others, but I need you to gather and get to me (laughs) within 30 days? Here's the list. Your last three years of tax returns, the last 12 months of any banking statements, checking or savings, any trust that you might have any Bitcoin accounts or cryptocurrency that you may have, Um, any of your retirement statements, your health insurance cards, and on and on and on. Give me a list of your budget. How much do you pay for cable? How much do you pay for car insurance? How much is your health insurance? How much does your employer pay for your health insurance? How much is attributable to the kids? It it just, Mm -hmm. I can keep going and going and going, It is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So that, I think, Pete, to answer your question directly, is one of the highest areas of stress that the lawyer is putting on the client because we need this information. And how do we get it? Because I can't represent you and tell you how I'm going to divide up your assets if I don't know what your mortgage is and how much is left on the mortgage and what's your house and what's Mm -hmm. the value of your house. And this is just the gathering of information stage. I'm not even talking about trial.
0: I definitely want to talk about trial. I, I have a which yeah. we will right. I, <laughs> I have an, an interjecting question though that I've never I've never thought of. And when you said twenty categories of financial documents and started listing off all of the the things that I hate to think about, it, it made me wonder from an aspirational ADHD perspective. You're doing that for many clients. How do you keep it all straight? What systems do you have in place to actually manage all of that stuff for your clients? Does your head just work particularly beautifully in this capacity?
2: Yes, it's a beautiful (laughs) mind, right? (laughs) I, To the annoyance of my girlfriend, I think very Mm -hmm. linear. Okay, So that's one aspect, I think, of being a lawyer. And it's not that I can't be, I do have Mm -hmm. a creative side, but in this aspect a very linear when we get do- first off i have an amazing team no one just hires a lawyer they hire a legal team so you need to talk to your lawyer about what people who in the office you need to talk to about who does what role so i'm not the guy in my office that reaches out to the client to say i haven't gotten your bank statements yet or if they just don't have the capability. And this is not a slight or a dig on anyone. If you don't have what I call the bandwidth to sit down at the computer and figure out your password and do the lost my password and get the email to change your password to get onto your bank account and then download... 12 months of your bank statements because you're going to be distracted by the dog or you got to go to the kitchen and make dinner and then the kids do this and their homework comes in. And by the time all this happens, at the end of the day, you just don't have the bandwidth to do it. We have processes here at our office in place to help you get those things done.
0: That that seems key, right? For to have somebody, if you're really struggling with that stuff, to know that you can count on your attorney's office team to actually help you do the work and keep you on. It's like a, accountability. It's like a study hall for law.
2: Right, and what I what we mean by this, okay, let's have an appointment where you come in for a half hour, hour, bring your phone with you. Let's log in. If you don't have your login, we're going to send you the, the email <laughs> right now. We're going to change your password. We'll record it. Let's get it. You give us permission. Click, click. And while we're downloading, my paralegals downloading the 12 months of bank statements It's okay if you start talking about other things. She can multitask that. That is perfectly acceptable. That's okay. That's who you are. Let's meet you where you are, but we're still going to work with you to get the information that you have or that you can get access to, even if we're the ones helping you get the access to that. And people will tell us, I don't even know where to find my tax returns. We do. We can go to the IRS and ask for what's called your transcripts. It's the IRS format of your tax return. We can do a credit check, freecreditreport.com. While you're sitting here, we can do it right on the computer. You click yes that we're allowed to do it. So there's ways that we help our clients get us the information that we need to then properly do the analysis and represent them.
1: I have a question. So I know that some of my clients are behind in their taxes, So what happens if you want that tax information, but they haven't paid
2: taxes in the last three years? Happens all the time. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. So we can only get the information that is readily available. Mm -hmm. So if they don't have their taxes filed, then we'll say, well, did you get a W-2 from your employer? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And then we'll say, okay, yes, I have no idea where it is. Fine. We'll go ask your employer. Then... Let's say you don't even work there anymore. I can actually send a subpoena requiring the employer to give me the documents. Hmm. I don't even need you for that. Right. There's a legal process that in all these hoops I have to jump through, which I'm not going to bore anyone with today, mm-hmm. but I can literally go subpoena things if you just can't get them. I've subpoenaed my own client's bank records because they just didn't have the bandwidth to go get them for me or to come into the office. So I have other levers that I can pull to make your going through the process less daunting. Now, it will call cost more money, right? It's cheaper mm-hmm. if you give me the bank statements and I have to go file in the court and then subpoena them and send someone to serve the subpoena. There's all these steps, but we're there to help you. And so there are different ways to do it. Now, financially, Nikki, if they haven't filed the bank, the Tax returns—that's a legal issue we're going to have to deal with in the divorce. But right. as far as getting the documents, I can get the W twos. We have accountants that we work with. We can refer them to an accountant and mm-hmm. try to clean it up. That's what mm-hmm. I was—that's yeah. mm-hmm.
0: immediately what I was thinking. Is you know, once you're three years behind, then there's a certain amount of just general fear of starting a process that's going to uncover more things that you are not on top of, and uh, I can imagine that being a, a highly stressful, terrifying experience.
2: It is, but most things in life, I believe the worrying is worse than the doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Worrying about, oh my God, I haven't paid taxes for three years is going to gnaw at you. Right. Once you get it all out there and the IRS says, okay, we're going to put you on a payment plan. Here's your payment plan and you know what it is. And we're going through a divorce and we're going to count that in alimony or not, or we have some assets maybe we can sell to pay off this debt quicker. You will feel better. You'll feel better knowing that the plan's in place and it's not something lurking behind you.
1: Oh, I agree with that because it feels just as bad at five years, three years, one year—it's you know you got to take care of it and and get be able to breathe without having that uh, that burden. I do have a question about the cost because I had a, a friend a long time ago who was considering divorce, uh, but she decided not to because it was too expensive. So they decided to stay together, but they're not they're not together. They just live in the same house. So, I find that
0: so hard to imagine. I can't. Yeah. Right? That, I, I do, yeah, too. I get, but, it. I know, get it. I get the circumstances. I get
1: it. But I'm just curious. Like, I never asked her, like, you know, well, how much money does it cost? And is it really worth staying with this person? Like, I didn't I didn't go yeah. into that kind of detail. But
2: well, there's two parts to that cost. There's how much does it cost to pay a lawyer to represent you in a d- divorce? That can range from fifteen hundred dollars if everything's worked out simply, and there's might be some court cost on top of that, to hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, depending on how much money's at stake and how much fighting and how many appraisals. And so it's a massive range, right? How are there kids? Are there no kids? Are we fighting about the kids? Is there alcoholism? Is there abuse? There, there's a wide range of issues that come up that will change how much time it takes the lawyer to deal with those issues because divorce is a process. It's not a win or lose. It's problem solving. We have a problem. We are getting separated. We're uncoupling. How do we work all these issues out? The other part of how much does it cost, which might be Nikki, what your friend was referring to is I can't afford to live on my own and maintain the same standard of living.
1: Yeah, I think you're on to something there. That makes sense.
2: So they might have said, you know what, we're gonna be roommates because we both like the nice house, and neither one of us want to go have to rebuy
0: furniture and have to set up a second of
2: everything. And that's a personal choice people make, and I have no judgment on that. People get to live their lives.
1: Right. That's a really good point, though, because I think it is. It's probably not so much about the divorce; it's the aftermath of it all.
2: Yeah. And and there's comfort in knowing your current circumstances
3: Mm -hmm.
2: where Mm -hmm. there is discomfort in the unknown.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Like, Mm -hmm. I know this guy's going to be sitting on the couch every night that I get home, even though he's not going to help lift a finger to help with the dishes. Right. Right. But I'll do the dishes because he's paying for three fourths of the mortgage. Wow, mm-hmm. okay.
0: you. We we digressed a little bit mm-hmm. from talking about the trial experience because I know that's a thing that when you're when you're talking to folks who are living with ADHD who maybe have distractibility or hyperactivity issues that they're dealing with, that might be a source of um, anxiety. How do you how do you navigate the trial experience?
2: It's a source of anxiety for everyone. Less is more, and there's two parts to this when you talk about trial. The two parts really are. The testimony. So when that client is sitting on the stand like you see in the movies and they're being asked questions by either me, their lawyer, the opposing party's lawyer, or the judge. The easy part in all of that are the questions from your lawyer. Right. Because you know what's Mm going to be asked. We can prepare. Mm -hmm. And if your lawyer is really doing a good job, they should prepare you for the questions that will be asked by the other lawyer, and potentially even by the judge, the same rules apply to answering all of the questions. And if you can stick to a few basic rules, it makes your life on the stand much easier. Now, when you're living with ADHD, it's very difficult to stay within those rules, which are Mm -hmm. just very quickly, you have to listen to the question and think about Mm -hmm. it. If you understand it, you answer it, honestly in the least number of words as possible and that's where people get tripped up they will Mm -hmm. go on and on and on because their mind is going and they're trying to say and this happens with everybody but especially i think living with adhd if i can just tell my story the judge will believe me and they'll understand Mm -hmm. that's not what the courtroom's about you actually don't get your day in court i as your lawyer get your day in court you, frankly, get treated like a child. You sit there and you speak when spoken to. And other mm-hmm. than that, you have to keep your mouth shut. You've hired me to speak on your behalf within all these crazy legal rules that I have to abide by.
0: Rules that you are not expected mm-hmm. to know, nor would you ever be able to know without going to law school. Like, don't, don't try to carry right. the burden of all of that. Is that a fair assessment?
2: And not only going to mm-hmm. law school, but being a yeah. trial lawyer. You should, there are Mm -hmm. a lot of lawyers I know that haven't tried a case and they are so nervous because they want to do a good job for their client, but they haven't actually lived it in the best, the best teacher's experience. So Nikki, you ready for a little quiz? Oh, I love quizzes.
1: Oh dear. Okay.
2: Okay, here we go. Listen to the question. Think about the question. If you understand it, answer it in the least number of words as possible. Now I'm going to pretend I'm the other lawyer. My job is to take your money and your children from you. You are on the stand. Yeah. See, you're anxious now, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. Already. (laughs) Already.
2: Nothing's even happened. We're sitting here doing a podcast. Okay, Do you understand the rules? Yes. Okay. Here we go. State your name for the record.
1: Nikki Sue Kinzer.
2: Okay. Now it's just me. Back to Seth. Talk on the podcast. You're no longer on the stand. How did you do? A through F. What would you grade yourself?
1: I would grade myself an A because I actually gave you my full name.
2: Yeah, okay. I never
1: (laughs) use my little name. That's
2: right. And it's actually an F because I didn't ask you a question. I gave you a statement. I told you to do something. And my instructions as your lawyer were, listen to the question. This is not a conversation. This is a question and answer. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay, so hold on. Let me wrap my head around this. <laughs> so you said to listen to, the and question. Answer, uh, to listen to the question and think about it.
2: And if you understand it.
1: If you understand it, answer it. But it, you didn't ask me a question?
2: Nope, I said state your name for the record.
0: So what do you do in that case? Because I would want to say, said, watch yourself, counselor. But that I got from a movie. Right. So what do you do in that case? Do you, do you not state your name?
2: Well... In that case, you could state your name because otherwise you're going to look like a fool in front of the judge, which is not persuasive. Right. But my point of the exercise is to show you how anxious it is and how simple my instructions were. Listen to the question. Think about the question. If you understand it, answer it in the least number of words as possible. But I tell my clients. I kind of
3: so, did fail.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, big because time. I even used an extra word. No, oh, just we're like, you never no, use. We're going
2: to get there in a minute. Nikki. We're that g- I
1: never use.
2: Nikki, we're going to get there in a minute. Let's just talk about you, Did And the reason why I point this out is because a, a skillful lawyer might not ask a question. They'll say a statement and then you respond.
1: Yes. And, and you th- know what? I learned that in interview, like when I was in HR and I would interview people, one of the very first things I learned when to interview was to pause because when you pause, that person speaks. That's
2: right. It's uncomfortable. The silence is uncomfortable and yes. they'll start filling in the gaps. I do that all the time when I take depositions. I do it all the time at trial. I'll just look at the witness.
1: And you just want to speak. And then they
2: start talking again. Yeah. See, right there.
1: I just wanted to speak right. to you, Seth. Okay.
2: So now you're back on the stand. Sorry to put you okay. through this. Ready? I promise right. you I'm going to ask you a question now. I'm not going to pull that little trick. Right. Okay. Here we go. What is your name?
1: <laughs> Nikki Kinzer.
2: Look how long that took. He started laughing. <laughs> oh, Nikki, how did you do there? We're grading you now.
1: Well... It was a question. I understood it. And I did think about how I was going to answer. And I did do it in the fewest words possible. So I disagree.
2: I you could have just good. said Nikki. Right. I disagree. Oh, no. Bingo. So really? Think back to when you're single and you're at a bar and a nice guy comes up to you and says, hi, what's your name? Do you say, hi, I'm Nikki Kinzer? Do you say Nikki? No, of course not. Right. Not if you, well, if you <laughs> no. don't want to talk to the guy, that's what you say. But if you want to talk <laughs> yeah. to the guy. So what you did... And this is really important because I want people to be themselves on the stand. Even if you're living with ADHD, it's okay. It's not a negative. We're going to get that information out. We're going to have the judge understand it, but it's going to be understood through the answers and questions. Okay? Hmm. So my point to that is, is that you answered formally. In fact, when I I said state your name, you even gave your middle name. That's a very Formal answer oh, because totally, you pictured yeah. yourself in a courtroom, which is a formal setting. Yep. Nowhere were my instructions to put on a fancy dress or a tuxedo mm-hmm. and be formal and answer formally. It was answer in the least number of words as possible. And mm-hmm. if you're living with ADHD. This is really important because if you can just practice with your lawyer of listening to the question and answering and stopping, it's okay if your mind is running inside your head. I don't have a problem with that. I just want you to answer the question and sit silently. So this is what happens in court, and I'm gonna show you why this exercise is very valuable to clients on the stand. Now I'm going to ask you, what is your name? You're going to say Nikki, and then look what I do as a lawyer. What is your name? Nikki. What is your full name?
1: Nikki Sue Kinzer.
2: Okay, now what you just did is you made that lawyer who's trying to take your kids and money away from you do their job. I asked a bad question on my first, what is your name? If I wanted your full name, then I should have said, what is your full name? That little bit will give clients such confidence at the very beginning of their testimony, they just smile. They look at me and smile. Because most lawyers will say, what is your name? You'll say Nikki, then they'll say, what is your full name? And the lawyer's now annoyed. But he's really annoyed with himself because he asked a bad question.
1: Because he asked the bad question of what is your name?
2: Right. If he wanted the full name, that's what he should have said. Don't help them do their job.
0: Oh, I see. I see. There's another piece to it that I think if I've if I've learned anything about this Q and A, and believe me, Nikki, I, the number of times Seth has put me on the stand, it's too many to count, and I fail. <laughs> I fail every time. Oh, it's fascinating. But, but the thing that I think I've I've said, Seth, please stop me. I know you will stop me when I start lying on your behalf. But the thing that I find so interesting about the way Q and A works in this process is that. By answering in as few words as possible, you're actually not just making the other lawyer do their job. You're allowing your lawyer to build the wall the way he needs it designed. Every every question and answer is a brick. And if you go too far, that brick starts looking like something that isn't the wall that... Seth needs to build. If you answer the questions as designed, you're allowing them to, to build this wall that is in your favor, that actually tells the whole story.
2: And I'll, I'll do it a little different than a wall, piece yeah. just for the visual, is th- these are all pieces to a puzzle. Yeah. It's a jigsaw puzzle. that I have a picture that it, when I put all those puzzle pieces together, that's what it should look like for the judge.
0: And as a client, I might not have any perspective on what that picture looks like.
2: Yeah. I mean we'll talk about it. We'll talk about my themes to the case, but there are things that have in court that happen so fast that the clients don't understand, nor should they. Yeah. But my point is don't start adding pipe picture puzzles that I don't know about. Yeah. So just by answering the question and zip. zip do you ever do I, that in court? Okay. Zip. Oh my God. I would love to. Zip. I would love to be able to do that.
1: I but, have a question. Because this is something where I think it could get really messy. Like I'm thinking about, uh, and this is going to go dark and I apologize because we're not a dark podcast, but I'm just really curious about this. If you have a relationship that is abusive and you do have like a gaslighter in the position, you know, in the relationship, whether you're representing them or not, right? Um, what you just did is like such a trap for, the more vulnerable person, right? Because they're going to want to try to defend themselves or try to say this person did this, this, and this. And then you've got somebody else who's like, yeah, but you did this, this, and this. It almost makes that person feel even smaller. Like, how do you deal with that when you know there's abuse in the relationship?
2: I'm going to make sure I understand your question because when there's abuse in a relationship, it's very serious. I I take all my cases seriously, but there's an added heightened of safety.
1: Yes, yes, for sure.
2: So there is information that I will be given. And then there's what I can prove in court. And those might be two dramatically different things. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So when it comes to someone that is being accused of being an abuser, I might not know the answer to that question. I know my client has been accused and I've represented clients that have been cu- accused of horrific things to children. Mm-hmm. And then in cases I've dealt with on many cases, it turned out not to be true. Mm -hmm. So the real kind of trap in your question is assuming I know the answer.
1: Well, that's a good point, right?
2: Okay. I've represented people I know have abused people. Or I thought very strongly. Because either one, they told me, and I believe Mm -hmm. them. Or two, we were in a domestic violence injunction and the judge said, have you been arrested? Yes. Do you want to take the Fifth Amendment, your right to the Fifth Amendment, not testify that would be against yourself? And my client had said, yes. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I've also been on the other side where I've represented people that have been abused. When you're asking those questions, it's all, there is a level of skill that comes with being a trial lawyer on getting to what you believe the truth is for the judge to hear. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can get it through the rules of evidence, and sometimes you can't, but you just do your Mm -hmm. best. It isn't a trick, though. Right. At no time am I asking a trick question. A trick question Mm -hmm. is, frankly, going to confuse myself. And it's not going to be succinct and persuasive to the judge. The judge Mm -hmm. knows, right? Mm -hmm. It's doing it within the rules of evidence. But for someone living with ADHD, it's okay for your mind to keep going. Mm -hmm. as long as you're not saying it out loud. Mm -hmm. And then you'll get refocused when they ask you that next question. And if your cadence is a little slower because you got to think about that question and your mind is racing and you want to make sure you answer it, that's okay. Because in court, I'm going to ask my client who's living with ADHD, do you have ADHD? Yes. How, and this is an open-ended question, does that impact you when answering questions? sometimes I'm slower and I might go off the question's path, not by a meaning to is I'm trying to get it all out. That's how my mind works. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Right now the judge hears that and right. doesn't and think you're avoiding it. the question the one thing judges really dislike is when you don't answer the question because they're listening to the question. They're looking for the answer. They're trying to like take their notes to do all the things they need to do and compare it to the law. And when you don't answer, they get very frustrated.
0: Mm -hmm. What's your strategy for guiding clients and working with specific judges? Do you ever say like this judge isn't going to have any patience for you and your ADHD right now? Or if you're just honest with the judge, they might be more forgiving in the, in, you know, in case you go off on a tangent, like, do you navigate that specifically or is there always just one rule?
2: No, there's the one basic rule, but you always adjust for, I for the judge. I prepare the same way for every case, prepare, prepare, know the information, know the facts, yeah. work with my client, prepare them. When I'm in the courtroom, depending on the judge and how things are going, you'll tack and go different ways. And Pete, the assumption you make, which is a fair assumption for someone that's not a practitioner, yeah. is that I know the judge I'm going to have. Right. I've walked into court, on ready for a two-day trial, thinking it's one judge, and now I have a senior judge because my judge is sick. Mm-hmm. So that's why you prepare the same way and you've got attack. But Nikki, to your point, it's all really about working with a lawyer that's going to prepare you Mm -hmm. for these items. Now, when you're dealing with kids, they're going to be, how does this impact the children? I'm sorry that you are living with ADHD, but is it at such a point where it has to impact your parenting? And if so, how? And then as your lawyer, I'm going to try to minimize that and show the mm-hmm. other positive aspects of your parenting because none of us are perfect parents. Right. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. This is the best example I can give you on this. If you're living with ADHD, you, when you're looking at it, it might be like a, um, a spigot that has a hose that's all messed up and it's turned on and the water's just gushing at the top. And if I put duct tape around that, I'm going to, Kind of slow that water, but now you look down that hose, and there's a bunch of little pinpricks where the water's shooting mm-hmm. up. That might be your spouse. There's a lot of little things your spouse is not doing what's best for the kids and negatively impacting them, but no one can see it because they're focused on the gushing water, right. which is what you're living with. So I mm-hmm. need to get that under control. Not a hundred percent. That's a fool's errand. Mm -hmm. but let's get it under control for our presentation to explain to the court what other amazing things you do as a parent and how you manage your adhd and then we can say there's other issues in this case judge that you need to look at too Mm
3: -hmm. because
2: that water's Mm -hmm. coming up down that hose too Mm -hmm. so it's not an all or nothing type scenario rarely is it all or nothing in, in a case you do have your extreme examples
1: so I have a, a question about if somebody is thinking about going um, through this process, how do you know if you have a good lawyer? Like, I would hire you.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> you sound oh, fantastic. Well, and I feel like you kind, had but my like back. I, like I said, your husband already retained me. I'm, I hate to break the right? to you. <laughs> I know. Dang it.
1: <laughs> Uh, But yeah, how do you like, you know, how do you go through that kind of vetting process a little bit of knowing, is this person going to have my back? Like,
2: it's one of the most difficult things for a potential client to do. So I Mm -hmm. would say get a list of questions that you want to ask your potential lawyer. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually have a whole show on this, right, Pete, on how to split a Mm. toaster. Um, Here are some just rules of thumb. And this, I think, is especially important if you're living with ADHD. And Nikki, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. One, if you're doing the majority of the talking in the initial consultation, there's a problem. You you as the client, you mean? You as the client. Okay. Because if you, because there, that's what happens. The client gets lower on the phone and just spills everything. Yeah, I can that see That gives you no information on how the lawyer is going to do the analysis of your case, how the lawyer can work with you, how the lawyer runs their office to get the information we talked about.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: What is the lawyer promising you or not promising you?
3: hmm
2: So these are the type of questions I think you should ask is, how does your office run? If I have a problem, who do I talk to? How do I get a hold of them? Can you promise me that the judge is going to do X? If a, someone says yes to that, that's going to be a problem. <laughs>
1: Right.
0: You never yeah. promise
2: right. anything can on that. behalf of a judge because you can't promise
1: anything. Yeah. 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 Right.
2: So I think there's those types of questions. Now they should get enough information from you to give you a bit of an outline mm-hmm. on how they deal with issues. And we just have an outline. It's called peace, parenting, equitable distribution, dividing assets, alimony, child support, everything else. The process. Mm-hmm. They should be talking to you about those items and how they. On a very thumbnail sketch outline of your life and how that might play out. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Do you have a rapport with this lawyer? Mm -hmm. Do you know that you're going to go on and on and on talking and you need a lawyer to stop you because you don't want a lawyer that's going to kick back, put their feet on the desk and let you talk for an hour and charge you $400? So do you have the rapport where you can say, listen, I appreciate you have a lot that you want to tell me today. It's more important for you to walk away from information from this initial consultation, whether you hire me or not. Mm -hmm. I don't need to know your story unless you hire me. I just need enough of your story so we can figure out whether we can work together. So these are the type of questions.
1: I think that's a really good point with ADHD. Can you say that again? Because I think that's a really important point.
2: The lawyer does not need to know your story unless you're going to hire them. Mm Mm-hmm. You Mm -hmm. need to know whether you can work with this lawyer Mm -hmm. because if you have ADHD, you're going to want to tell your full story and you're going to go from in what I call the seamless web. And that lawyer is going to have to bring you back to focus on the information they need when they need it in a timely, efficient way to save you money.
1: Oh that's such a good point. And I know that from my own experience with clients who want coaching, you know, that they'll they'll do that. They'll tell me their whole story before we even get to the point of whether or not we can work together. And I think that that's a really valid point. Uh, and the emotions are so much higher with, you know, talking to a divorce divorce.
2: Right. And what's sad about that is they're going to hang up that phone and mm-hmm. be like, "Oh my god, Seth was great. He just listened to everything I had to yeah. say." That gave them no information right. about How I practice law or whether I'm the right fit. And there are some people that will call me that will say, Seth, you're not my guy. I'm okay with that. I can't imagine it, but I'm okay okay with it. Seriously. I know, right? No. My husband (laughs) is so lucky to have you, Seth. (laughs) Uh, um, Pete, you know me well enough. I don't pull punches. I'm going to tell you what you need to know, not what you want to hear. And depending on where that client comes. Into the attorney-client relationship at that point, that's might not what they want, right? Even when you tell them, some are um, very direct. Some people need a little more, little softer approach.
1: How do you balance that um, kind of being the divorce lawyer
2: versus the therapist? Oh, Pete, what's my favorite line on this I'm one? Not your therapist. Let's play Seth Nelson. <laughs> Let's play Seth therapist. Nelson Ringo. Yeah, right. I'm not your friend. I'm not your therapist. I'm your lawyer. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Nikki, I'm telling you, the number of times I've tried to to have Seth buy my friendship or buy his friendship, because you see all the movies. that's all like, oh, my lawyer, he's my lawyer. I have him on retainer and we go play golf. Apparently that's not a thing. That's not normal. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs> not in family law. Not in family law. <laughs> right, play go- right. Play golf Maybe, with somebody well, else's I'm lawyer. I'm not even going to
1: say yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right.
2: That's so but interesting. These type of questions when you're living with ADHD are so important to even if you can just say, I'm going to write down two questions. I'm going to write down three questions. Just set a reasonable goal. And you know yourself better than most people, if you're being honest with yourself and people listening to your wonderful show are being honest with themselves. Mm -hmm. And they, you can start with Laura and say, be upfront. How would you handle me if I am living with ADHD? Mm -hmm. Or, I got you on the phone. I'm going to talk for three minutes and then you can tell Interrupt me to be me. quiet, but right, I've right. got to get this out. Okay, go start mm-hmm. the yeah. timer, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. but to be upfront and honest with your lawyer and then see what kind of response you're getting from your lawyer to see whether you're, are going to be able to work together or not.
1: When you say family law, are you only working like on divorces or do you also do like estates? Like, it's but, a great know,
2: question. So, yeah. in my practice, family law means divorce, paternity, where people have children mm-hmm. but they're not married, prenups, where they're creating a document on how they're going to divide stuff when, if they get a divorce or even if they die while they're married, postnups, you're already married but you're going to rework your finances. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, domestic violence.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: After the whole case is over, We'll deal with post-judgment. You're already divorced, but you're having problems still, or someone didn't do what they were supposed to do. Um, And with, uh, it's called contempt and enforcement motions. And with all these areas, though, it's what people think of as divorce, child custody, dividing assets, alimony, child support, those mm-hmm. are like the substantive areas of law that we we deal with on a daily basis and mm-hmm. all the emotion that goes along with it.
1: Oh, yes. Wow. What do you think, Nikki? Is this useful? I think it's really useful and I, you know, it's just again, I was just so curious. I'm so glad that you got on the show and that you're here, Seth, to to help us understand this process and if any of our listeners have questions, um I hope you send them in and I know you have to look at your jur- t- just
2: just Jurisdiction. Yes, always check your local jurisdiction. I know Florida family law, right? And and it is remarkable. uh, Yeah, it's remarkable. Just
0: you know, when you talk about because Seth, we we spoke on a show recently. We were talking about you know a, a great divorce and the timeliness of divorce. And you you compared the great state of Florida with Louisiana in this case. Can you just recap that because that difference is significant for those who wonder why we say check your local jurisdiction.
2: In the great state of Florida, let's assume you have everything worked out, you have a whole plan, everyone agrees. Easiest divorce ever. You come to me, I can get that filed and I can have you divorced within 21 days. Yeah. Okay, everything works out perfectly, no problems. Everyone's, now you might have taken longer to get to that point, but from the day I file to the day I get you divorced, the soonest I can do it is 21 days under Florida family law. Louisiana, it's 360 days. It's almost a year. There's a waiting period.
1: Wow, and that's if everything is agreed. And I
2: might have the number of days wrong, it's almost a year. Even if everything's agreed, you have to be separated or something of that nature for that long. And we were speaking to a, a guest on our show that went through a divorce in Louisiana and it was basically agreed to and they had to wait almost a year. A
0: lot happens wow, in a year. That is it, crazy. it is amazing. And, and I, I imagine our global audience, you know, uh, is there are different stories from around the world. I'd check your local jurisdiction. But I'll tell you, just having being able to have a framework of what to expect going through a divorce uh, is, I think, really powerful. And I'm for anybody mm-hmm. listening, I, we're so sorry if your relationship is suffering to the point that you're thinking that it might be time for a divorce, but we also hope that you have gotten something out of this to maybe ask the right questions and uh, and take the right steps forward uh, to do it.
1: Well, and I just want to say one last sure. thing about that, Pete. I think that, you know, one of the things about ADHDers is they're, they're not always self-advocators, yeah. right? And so I think, you know, that is probably something to have that conversation around your life lawyer with is that, you know, even though you may feel and know that you deserve something, you may back down. So having somebody be able to advocate for you and, and build your confidence so you can advocate for yourself. I mean, there's a lot of value in that Mm -hmm. too, I think. So just keeping that in mind that.
2: And Nikki, to layer on top of that. You've just described part of the grief process of going through a divorce. It's grieving. And one Mm -hmm. of them is bargaining. I'll do anything to keep you. The other is bargaining. I just want it done. You can take everything.
1: Right. So
2: that happens in all cases. And then when you add on, where you're not a great advocate for yourself, and everyone will have some buyer's remorse on any deal that they have because they always think about what they gave up and not what they got. And Mm -hmm. a lot of what you get is not going through a trial. Mm-hmm. But just to layer that in, as you're saying, if, you, if you're not a great advocate for yourself, to have someone that you can communicate with about your issues and how to potentially solve these problems is, mm-hmm. is vitally important.
0: Seth Nelson, mm-hmm. uh, you're a champ, man. Thank you so much for uh, coming in and sharing your insights. Where, where do you want to tell people to go to learn more about uh, your stuff?
2: Well, uh, the website's Nelson Coster. That's N-E-L-S-O-N-K-O-S-T-E-R dot com. And uh, True Story FM, we have our podcast, a divorce uh, podcast about saving your relationships called How to Split a Toaster. And happy to help in any way I can. Nikki, Pete, thank you for having me on the show. And hopefully this is uh, beneficial to uh, people out there that are living with ADHD. Sure, appreciate it, Seth. Great. thank
0: you. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We deeply appreciate your time and attention. Uh, and on behalf of Nikki Kinzer and Seth Nelson, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast.